Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Toby Altman. And I'm Emily Barton Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poetry and the creative life. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Simone White. I'm Simone White. Simone White's Dear Angel of Death was published by Ugly Duckling Press this spring. She is also the author of Of Being Dispersed, House Envy of All the World, and the chatbooks Unrest and Dolly with Kim Thomas. She lives in Brooklyn and joins the faculty of the University of Pennsylvania this summer. We talked with Simone about becoming a poet, writing about motherhood, and she read two poems from her new book, Dear Angel of Death. The book includes poems and a scholarly essay, braiding the two forms together into an intimate conversation that defies usual modes of writing and publishing. Like many people, I wrote my first poems ever, you know, as like a 19-year-old or something, but I just never had any plans or understanding of what it would mean to write poetry as a pursuit or, um, you know, I took one writing workshop in college, um, but I was on my way to law school. Like that was, that was the plan. I was sticking to it. Um, and I went to law school almost immediately after college. So, you know, I was in New York for a year. I applied to law school and then off I went to Harvard law school and it was horrible. Like, even that didn't convince me that it was like it was so awful and I was writing poems then I took like Helen Vendler's post-war American poetry at Harvard you know like I was sort of like sneaking off into the uh, graduate school of arts and sciences whenever I could and I sort of suspected I began to meet people who were in graduate school and sort of suspected that that was a path that I had sort of missed My parents, who were professionals but first-generation college-educated people, they, you know, they just art was not an option. And so, you know, I think my f- my own fear of not being able to make a living was the thing more than anything that foreclosed that as a possibility. And so, after I had practiced for a few years, and I realized that like I really wasn't thinking about anything else except literature or um, how to quit practicing, then I started thinking about an MFA, partly because I knew that that was a way that I could really get people to leave me alone if I said that I was going to quit, like moving into another institutional space, like getting a master's degree would like not ring a lot of alarm bells. So that was how I sort of like started to quit. And then... um, Things got crazy. Like my father got indicted in a federal corruption investigation. I was working for him at the time. And then he died of pancreatic cancer six months later. So I had been working for him for a couple of years, two or three, and um, had finished the MFA or was finishing it. In MFA school, I began to get a sense that, like, I might actually be good at it, you know? Like, I was like, oh, I'll go to. MFA school and I'll I'll publish one poem. That will be nice. That was my plan. I don't it just like it mushroomed, I think. You know, it was first like I have this like side this like weird tick that won't go away. 
And then it was like a bigger thing, which became an MFA. And then it was a bigger thing, which became a whole life that just kind of happened. There are two poetic sections, so two sections of straight poems. The first section is like the first poems that I was writing immediately when my son was born. So these like poems I was writing on the subway, you know, like in the immediate aftermath of the period where I wasn't writing. So I, I think I wrote that, that um, the, nur- the first nursing poem, I, I had had like lunch with Anselm Bergen, who, you know, lives across the street from the Poetry Project or something. And um, I had said to him like, do you think I'll never, you know, write again? <laughs> and he, has, he has two children. And he said, no, like you'll probably write again. And I went home and I wrote that poem partly because of Anselm. So those poems kind of began to sort of leak out um, slowly, and I was writing them on my phone on the subway. Isaac was really small. Like, I was working and mostly pumping (laughs) all the time. And so, you know, there's a kind of, like, insanity that you're experiencing in the, like, the newborn and early infancy period because you're not sleeping very much and you know, like most of your actual like energy is going into nursing. But I had to finish my dissertation and I had to um, like do it right away. And so I had started working when he was seven weeks old. Like I started hosting readings again when he was seven weeks old and I shouldn't have been doing it. And I knew it and I was, you know, like falling asleep in readings and stuff, but I had to work. So um, th- these poems were these kind of like early efforts. I wasn't even trying. It was just like something to do. And um, it's like around March or April, I realized that there were like a bunch of them and that they were starting to take a shape that looked like a story or like real, real poems. Not everybody has the experience of early motherhood that I had, you you know, like, you know, I, I was sort of like, okay, I had this baby. Let's. I think that I should also end my marriage, <laughs> like, like now. So that's not an experience that everybody has. Even you know, like even the experience of single motherhood as a choice, right, is different from that. But as those early poems were being written, they were not about the loss of the relationship. It. They were about. Um, a kind of fog, you know, a kind of like um, very, a kind of disconnect between what I was experiencing as a person and a mother and the rest of the world, which was a, a world in which I was living as a poet and a thinker. You know, at first it was just like having some language around um, the experience and often often the experience of being kind of like depleted and confused. I don't want to read poems about people's kind of like um, maternal bliss necessarily. Like I don't, I'm not that interested in that. Um, I, I understand it, like I understand that experience, but I don't know, like I just, they seem like they're lying and I don't, like, who wants to read a poem about lies? And so I, 
even when your kid is like happy and is like just taking a shit on the floor or something, you know what I mean? Like that can actually be great. (laughs) Like some of the best moments are like things like that, you know, where like you're trying to potty train your kid and they're like, I shouldn't shit on the floor. Right. Like, and you're like, no, don't shit on the floor. Like, that's beautiful. You know, that's what I think that's an interesting poetic situation, you know, but like my life is perfect. I'm not interested in that because it's probably not true. I was never thinking that I was writing a book of poems ever. And um, although at some point I realized that what I had done was write a book of poems. I had promised Anna Mashavakis, Dear Angel of Death, the essay, long before it was finished. We had talked about it and she had seen it, or parts of it, and I had promised it to her for Dossier. And so when we really started to talk about the publication of that, that essay, she said, is there anything else that you'd like to have come out before this? Do you have anything else? And I said, well, actually, <laughs> I, I think I have a manuscript. Could we do them together? And she said, sure, because that's what you can do on a small press. So the scope of the book ends up being a kind of story which tells the story of the person who's writing the critical essay in a way. So. I was just really glad to be in a position with Anna and Ugly Duckling to ask for that. Um, it's not, you know, I say this to people all the time. This is actually like a relatively old practice, right? I mean, like Spring and All is a similar book. Part of it is just like the dearth of publishing spaces so that, you know, fewer and fewer poetry presses are willing to do anything that, um, that wouldn't sell a book. I mean, Ugly Duckling just... They just publish poetry, you know what I mean? Like, they are not they are not concerned with um, matters of selling poetry books. Like, sadly for them, you know, they just don't make any money. They're not, they're not for profit. So that dossier is sort of, you know, is devoted to the practice of bringing out not poet-scholar works, but works that are... Um, you know, that are exploring poetic questions in ways that um, that people might find useful. And for me, the most useful thing was, in fact, to show how these two practices were working together. And the books were written at the same time. It really didn't make a lot of sense to separate them because they speak very specifically to one another. That's what the work of poems is to reorganize right our thinking about how words mean anything and so in and one of the things I think that poets get as insight without without having specific interests in um, nonlinear time accidentally we come if we have any interest in sort of experimenting with language we accidentally come to the information somehow that
that what you are actually doing is like spinning, right? Like you're kind of like engaging in an action of spinning of, of meanings so that like the whole process of illusion or whatever in a traditional literary sense is no longer the game that you're in. And so whereas illusion does ask us to participate in a kind of historical development, which can be tracked, right? Um, when you're interested in kind of like a more deconstructive project of language, then, then it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like how you, um, what the antecedents are or whatever. It's like the brain is a tricky place. And that's actually the thing that you're most interested in. You're interested in the individuals, you know, the, the voices capacity to send you across its own field of reference and plus your own. And so those things together are like kind of magical. And so that doesn't have anything to do with, um, with influence really, or, or, or a past or future, which could be, you know, organized by any kind of discipline. It's like, it is a kind of simultaneity. And I think that's fun. So I'm going to read this excellent French one and um, one of the Motherhood is a State of Hypervigilance poems. Excellent French of the seminar, many early years in language training of the language lab of the contest, then French of the tutor, bad French of the baby class, the first grade mademoiselle, French of one's own Fanon translation, also the French of jealousy of tokenism the soft sexism of the academic job market. What might be, yet never is because. On Sunday, one scrubs the toilet in French. French of the kitchen and of Colette, of the nicest suitcase you've ever seen in Paris, in her brightest trousers, drunk in Pigalle. French of correct sense memory, the sweet smell of familiar cock, if you can still say that today in America, cock, familiar or favorite. Do the French stand alone? This is state. It is a fish. It is a whale. The only food I have eaten is from the floor as not from the floor. The wicked carport. It is hell. It is hopscotch. It is a gash. It is forever falling on your right knee. It is smooth. It is white and glossy with pure, bright blood. It shines on the lip of a milk-sated infant, soft like a kitten, white kitten, soft baby. It is a fish. It is a whale. It is cold. It wants to be touched. Like you, it is soft. You cannot imagine. Imagine, I am saying. Do it. Fish, whale, ship, caducity, the falseness of TV, the food I could still eat in Casablanca. It is a truck. It is a grain. It is a fish, it is a whale, it is a garbage truck. The only word I know is garbage, ice cream, gorilla. You are baby, the fish, the whale, the skylark. You, 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 you. You have, it is, the naturalized beast, the scar, 
We are. It is. Soft. Do it. I'm telling you. I announce. It is. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Iowa City. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. If you like what we do, check out our website, makenobonespodcast.org, for all our episodes. Or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please consider rating us on iTunes. It really helps.